Hello and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. So, we are uh, going to be speaking about a very difficult subject, reality. (laughs) Yes. Who knows what about reality? Sure, we all do our best to... Uh, approximate to interpret the nature of life and reality. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to interpret it per our own psychobiological individuality, our way of seeing that we inherited in many ways uh, with which we were initially gifted, both mentally, cognitively, spiritually, karmically, dharmically, um, and physiologically. So that's just kind of the way it goes, and we've got to deal with these details of our uh, purview. Well, what does that got to do with anything? Well, I will say it has everything to do with everything, because the way we see, the way we perceive what we see and the way we interpret what it is we see, sense, feel, is what gives us our sense of reality. That's where it comes from. It's not objective in some kind of mechanical, outside, deterministic way. It's what we make of it. There is uh, this notion that my old teacher of neurolinguistic programming used to call the primacy of the subjective, Richard Bandler. And there's some beauty in honoring and acknowledging the primacy of the subjective, although we certainly don't want to have that as the only tenet of our uh, purview. No, no. But Inside of it all is our own deeply personal, deeply subjective experience of life. And it needs to be influenced by the objective world, so to speak. All these words are relative, therefore the phrase, so to speak. Uh, Yes, they are relative uh, to our understanding, knowledge, observation, of the so-called outside world. And this is a uh, an important part of our larger general knowledge base and understanding. Needless to say, we need to know that we will have X number of uh, time of sunlight and daylight in a given day. And that's the way it is. I'm going to play a little music for you right now for a bit of a break. I was saying, because I'm also 
uh, <laughs> how do I say multitasking for a brief moment? Okay. And uh, there's a concert of our dear friends Katya Grinieva and of uh, Byron Duckwall, who I had on last week. So um, I was making last-minute arrangements for uh, someone who I am gifting a ticket to, one of my students and clients and friends. (laughs) So, handled! I am now officially and unofficially yours. I am back. (laughs) Okay. So, let's come back to this critically important subject, which is the basis of this day's discussion called Reality and Hope. Okay. So, in light of looking at the world objectively from the point of view that is, say, of observation, and then um, amassing, aggregating our our observations into quantifiable data, what a phrase, and from that make certain scientific inferences. And that's kind of the way it works. We may start with a hypothesis like there is, how about, a real world out there. There is a uh, tangible, material, three-dimensional, condensed, contracted, materialized, uh, photon, proton, neutron, and electron dense world that I can perceive through my senses and that world can get quantified or maybe I'll make up a word for now datafied we're going to datafy it I don't know if any of you remember seeing the movie by uh, John Cleese one of those great films he made uh, which was this The Life of Brian or um, some of the Uh, something of the world and it's taking place in London and they're in a hospital and they are gathered together, the doctors and nurses prior to the administrator who controls the budget for their operation walks in and they have to have a budget so that it uh, and show that they're using all of the equipment and appliances and technologies and medical devices that they bought the year before so that their budget doesn't get uh, reduced this year. So they say, put them all together. Let them see that we are using them all and make sure you include the machine that goes bing, meaning they don't even know what it's for. They just like the way it sounds. So they're aggravating. They're datifying all of their equipment and devices so they can retain their budget. So, so much of our lives have to do with budgets. Well, I'm looking at the world from a larger point of view this moment, which is to really say that when we begin to datify and quantify the world around us and take stock of it, uh, we have come to see that in so many ways we have spoiled our habitat. We have spoiled our habitat, meaning it's tainted the 
water is fouled. So is the air and the soil. These are the basics, uh, the basic elements of our world. Metal isn't even as strong as it used to be. All sorts of things have been tampered with by, I'll put it this way, man's unbridled, oftentimes testosterone-driven wish for more. More of what, you ask? Good question. More of everything. More of anything. Just more. (laughs) And uh, this has added up to a problem. I'm sorry. More at any expense, that is. At any expense to Mother Nature, the Earth, the source of it all itself, or truly herself, or at the expense of his or her own species, usually his, and meaning to say it's usually the male of the two main genders that is driving the train, no pun intended, quite literally, at this point off the cliff through drilling into the body body of Mother Earth by uh, coming up with combinations of compounds and elements that have toxified the world in the form of literally thousands upon thousands of chemicals that we have no idea what kind of effects they have when they vaporize or if they stay in water or any liquid or when they go into the soil. We don't know what they do. Well, now we do. We know that they cause tremendous, dreadful harm. And we are the recipients of that harm. We are suffering. There have been innumerable birth defects. There have been innumerable uh, uh, diseases that have been contracted by millions of people all over the world. And at this point, there is just no question of what it is we have done. The mess we have created, Horatio, is more than any of our philosophies could have imagined. Pardon the paraphrase. So, uh, we're in a stew right now. And, well, when did we find out? Well, actually, a long time ago. We've known, I will definitely say, for hundreds of years. This is not new. This is not starting 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 Really, it goes back to around, I'm going to say, the Industrial Revolution, Uh, which, by the way, don't get me wrong, was very exciting, very cool. The breakthroughs that were happening technologically with the, you know, really the railroad train is remarkable. The steam engine, the cotton gin, um, the um, printing machine, you know, so we're going back several hundred years and when you uh, take a look there was a lot to celebrate Um, this is not all some kind of horrible bad thing it's just not that simple it is a growing thing we learn by doing and there's nothing wrong with that that's the way it works that's actually the setup 
We learn by experimentation. You could say that nature has experimented with any number of different species to see which ones can survive and adapt to varying climatic conditions. And we see some do and some do not. Some fall by the wayside. Some uh, get mutated and um, some become mutant. And any number of different variations as Darwin helped to educate us about, and God bless him for that. We got a major education in the way life and biology evolves. The whole idea evolved. And um, so we've got the evolution of our biology and the evolution of our thinking, our intellect, all of which is great. And I would like to see a bit more evolution of our overall emotional intelligence and consciousness. And, well, well, slow down. We're working on it. <laughs> Work in progress. You can say that again. Anyway, I think you're following the the general drift is that it's not bad uh, to learn and develop along the way. But once we recognize the damage that some of our devices and technologies are wreaking on the overall environment, which means us, that means our overall health, we human health, and our bees health, and our trees health, well, we want to then take stock and go, wait a minute, whoa, let's reassess. We've got development and evolution over here, and then we have a, um, a waste product that comes from some of our technologies that are burping and belching and elim eliminating tremendous volumes of toxic fumes and toxic water and and uh, therefore also um, polluting our rivers, streams, lakes, ponds, and oceans, as well as, of course, soil, which means our food and the whole food chain gets polluted. And some of that starts on land and some of that starts in the sea with coral reefs and the smaller uh, amoeba level of the food chain all the way up, should really say mitochondria, and up from there. And um, you begin to see that we've created a world of destruction. And it's gotten to a point right now of such mass destruction that people cannot any longer breathe in some cities in Asia, especially China. They cannot breathe. Sometimes they need apparatuses or they wear masks. What a tragedy. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of uh, pollution from oil companies is generated in low-income, in this country, the United States, oftentimes uh, minority, oftentimes black neighborhoods where their political power to speak out and be heard, they can speak out all right, but they may not be heard, or even if they are heard, their words are not acted upon because it's not politically exciting or expedient for the 
given politician in that of that area. There's an entire food chain, if you will, an economic food chain that kicks in and that, of course, engages the political wheels of our society. And before you know it, um, governance is not happening properly. Governance is happening not equally across the board at all, but it becomes governed by socioeconomics, by skin color, sometimes by gender in some ways. And before you know it, well, it doesn't take long at all before you have a topsy-turvy world. You have a world of profound injustice and it all needs to be rectified because nature is always seeking balance and homeostasis and it can never be balanced if there's an entire sector of our species that's being disadvantaged over and over and over again over time you see so with the current situation as it is it is not long-lasting because nature abhors a vacuum and nature abhors imbalance and seeks to rebalance, counterbalance, countervail. And we could say that nature inherently um, goes for justice because ultimately that is what will be the result. Uh, although, you know, the notion of justice is in many ways a very human one and it may not apply directly to nature but there's an outcropping of uh, justice being done when nature does her balance do you see that's the sequence of it all justice will be done because nature will seek the balance and if there is a deficit for instance of water over here in the poor neighborhoods, there will eventually be a balancing out of water in the so-called rich neighborhoods. And it will happen as a result of the ecosystem acting by way of its inherent amazing intelligence. So I hope you're with me because I'm, I'm leading to something here. And what I'm leading to is that we have we have soiled our pants as a species. We have soiled our home, our habitat, our house, our temple, and there will be, and there is taking place, a profound rebalancing now. So as we are viewing this rebalancing act, if you will, uh, And I say, and many, many, many agree, that this is largely anthropogenic, meaning man-made, and recognizing that everything operates according to a cycle, natural cycles, and there are cycles in every single little microcosm and macrocosm of our precious, beautiful universe. So Earth has her cycles. It needs to be said that the solar system and the sun have their cycles. Some posit that the solar cycles, which will yield to us solar flares, 
that are enormous expressions of certain kinds of energy are affecting what's happening on Earth all the time. And when the solar flares are somewhat mild and well-behaved, how is that for anthropogenic? Um, anthropomorphic is more like it. Uh, all is well here on planet Earth. But when the sun starts to rage like Leo, then, oh my God, we could have tidal flooding and waves and volcanoes and all the things that we attribute to uh, climate change, to that idea of even global warming. It's not global warming exactly, but all of the things that we attribute to our doing, some say, is really the sun's doing. And we don't have anything to do with it. I don't believe it. Do I think the sun is playing a role? Oh, God, it couldn't not play a role. Do I believe that it's playing a key role? You know, I think it well may be playing a key role. Does that mean that we humans uh, have nothing to do with the state of the earth? No. Hogwash. Untrue. And this is the way I like to frame it, friends. I like to frame it this way. It is our job as so-called the top of the food chain. And by the way, that is completely debatable when you bring in whales and dolphins and others into the conversation and their levels of language and intelligence, even trees. But let's bypass that one for now, eh? Let's just go straight for our job as humans in my subjective and somewhat objective view is to take care of our home. First, our home where we have a shelter and then the larger habitat, which we call planet Earth. Now, each one of us doesn't have to be responsible for the entire planet. No, we can be responsible for that part of the planet that we inhabit. However, is if everybody did just that, we'd have a clean up, cleaned up, clean, non-polluted planet. That's what I have said about creating peace. How do you create peace worldwide? Well, everybody has what they call a family of one form or another. That doesn't mean necessarily a family of origin. That doesn't even mean a family of marriage. It's a family in short of choice. It's a community. It could be a form of family that just consists of neighbors on a floor in an apartment building in New York City, London, or Cairo. All of it's good. So family in the broadest sense, since we're all part of the family of homo sapiens, homo intelligens, all right? So I'm really using it in the broad stroke sense. If everybody were to go home and apologize for hurting others, accept, accept the apology of others, forgive each other in little circles of 2, 3, 4, 10, 12, 20, 50, 100, but everybody's included, even hermits, we're going to have a world of peace. You don't have to ring it in from above, so to speak. 
We've done it laterally. We've done it horizontally with a vertical understanding that we can create peace. That's a beautiful, high-level, high-minded, big-hearted perspective. And I'm all on it, and I'm all for it. But it happens because people in their pods, if you will, in their local habitat, have created peace among themselves, among their own quote-unquote families. So, too, I say that if we were to maintain the uh, elements which we are living around and surrounded by, the air, the water, the soil, and we interact with those elements sanely, responsibly, and with the idea of stewardship, of kindness, that is of kinship, kindred spirit, earth and us as one, if you will, then, hey, we will have a real clean, hygienic, and sustainable, even more thrivable, thriving planet. Then, in that case, we're going to have robust health. The energy fields surrounding the, the planet, morphogenetic fields, will be um, brilliantly full of light and love and vibrations, quite honestly, of the highest sort. And so let's now launch ourselves to the sun and say, well, what's going on there? It's throwing its own solar flares out into its galaxy and those are still going to be harming planet Earth. But see, Earth now doesn't have a carbon dioxide excess in its atmosphere. The ozone layer is intact. The air and the noosphere are all working just fine. Atmosphere, biosphere, stratosphere, noosphere, all of the spheres are simultaneously working in harmony with each other, as are we on the face of the planet and probably those that are beneath it. Then, dun-dun-dun, we've got, well, first, just the natural cycles of heating and cooling of the planet, of more pressure and less pressure. These are, you know, the functions of uh, the second law of thermodynamics and others. This is what happens. We, our bodies heat, our planet heats, our bodies heat, cool, our earth cools, um, the atmosphere as well, pressure changes, just like a pressure cooker, it goes up, it goes down, humidity, barometers, etc. Barometric pressure, dot, dot, dot. All natural, all good, all happening, sometimes extremely. That's right. Sometimes it happens where we have conditions of extreme weather. Sometimes there are volcanoes. Sometimes there are earthquakes. There are uh, tsunamis that happen. Having nothing to do with human beings polluting or gathering greenhouse gases based on our collective, ongoing, consistently polluting behavior. 
Okay? So we're going for a pristine idea. Will those solar flares possibly contribute to what we call climate change? The answer is, of course. So I'm not saying it doesn't have a role. That would be foolhardy, and there's no science that suggests that's the case whatsoever. To the contrary. So that's not my position. My position is that I believe, and I believe that there is proof, that human beings have done so much to aggravate the situation and accelerate our possible species demise as our guy McPherson, environmental scientist, who we had on for an hour and a half recently, talked about. He talked about NTEs, near-term extinction. (laughs) He's not kidding. Our perception, i.e. our interpretation of reality, uh, may not really want to include that. Why? It's disturbing, man. It's disturbing. Don't tell me that I'm going to die, even though I know I'm going to. Uh, You know, I don't want to hear it, man. Bug off. (laughs) That's the way we humans are. So when Guy comes down the pike with his seemingly bad news of a collapsed ecosystem, and it's in collapse right now. I mean, collapse, by the way, is a highly subjective world. From the point of view of nature, of the ecosystem herself, of Mother Nature, I'm not sure there is a sense of collapsing as such. It's just a change. It's, okay, adaptation time, that's all. There's no judgment inherent, like, oh my God, I'm losing the human species. Oh, no. If anything, there might be a little glee. No, I'm kidding. I don't believe that there's that either. I don't believe that there's any emotion connected to that as such. And I could be wrong, you know, it's very possible that I'm wrong about that. But I'm, for the moment, positing that everything is according to the terms of physics. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. There is no emotion part of it. That's a very human enterprise. It's just, this happens, then that happens. That happens, then this happens. And that's the way the merry-go-round goes round. That's it. And it's indifferent. It's an indifferent natural machine. We don't like that. We like to personalize things. And I understand. I do too. I don't think there's any problem with that. But let's understand that we have done damage. The solar flares have also done damage. But when that those solar flares... And the natural cycles of heating and cooling and pressurizing and depressurizing are taking place on planet Earth in and of themselves, let alone separate from human so-called intervention and destructive tendencies of smashing and dashing and crushing and killing and all of that, each other and nature felling trees, killing animals, on and on, insects. 
you know, we get a world that looks like it does today. And that's not so darn pretty. In fact, it's not so darn pretty. And that's sad because it's such a beautiful world. So what do we do? According to Guy McPherson and other leading, maybe not so vocal, um, environmental scientists and climate climatic uh, climate scientists, we're in trouble. We're literally, uh, they say, moving the furniture around on the deck of the Titanic. Um, so how do we work with our own mind with that? You know, we do have something called collapse psychology and uh, an awareness of what we have done to our beautiful Mother Earth. And there is a profound sadness that comes with that. I mean, it, an unspeakable one. It's really, it's it's unspeakable if we truly allow ourselves in an unarmored way to experience the murder, the genocide that we have in many ways orchestrated. And I will put it that way because I believe that that's largely the case. Not singularly, as I've made ultimately very, very clear, but largely we have to take responsibility for it and we want to do something about it so we've got reality on one hand and now we have hope to do something about it on the other can the two coexist well so we're at this point in the show my friends and i have to take a little break and tell you all that you are listening to mitchell j rabin on a better world radio we are also on television in the Big Apple in New York City every Monday evening at 7 p.m. You can listen either on TV in Manhattan or through our website, abetterworld.tv, from anywhere. India, Australia, Mexico, South Africa. We're listening from all over. It's so much fun. We are truly creating a better world by creating this a better world community of people who do tune into this show on a weekly and bi-weekly and tri-weekly basis and you send it out by link to your friends and family and loved ones and uh, bosses and peers and associates and colleagues and this is the way we populate with another level of consciousness throughout the world it's true. This is the way it works. And please sign up for the free newsletter. We only send it out once a week. Occasionally there will be the announcement of events. Um, and that's just because I want y'all to come. And the, those of us who are part of a better world very much want to share the goods. So uh, that's the commercial here at A Better World. Also, to continue that commercial for one moment, uh, we do have products. We do have my coaching services and counseling and biofeedback, and that reaches all around the world. We use phone. We use Skype. I use biofeedback that is remote in nature, reading energy fields and stress responses, stress potentials, anywhere and everywhere. It's not related to geography. So please feel free to be in touch with me about any of that at mjr at abetterworld.net, my email address, and I love hearing from you anyway. Just drop me a line about your uh, 
enjoyment of the show, your feelings, your experiences, what you've learned. I so appreciate it. MJR at abetterworld.net or call 212-420-0800. And with all that said, that's the commercial. Back to reality and hope. Yes. So in the midst of a world of chaos, in the world now where we have a president named Trump and the German is Trump and it probably means exactly as it sounds which isn't so pretty and it was just today that uh, Trump was uh, facilitating leading the um, uh, Security Council at the UN where I spent the afternoon not in the Security Council but I was at a global mental health forum which was wonderful about countries across the world that are really addressing mental health issues widely, nationally, and uh, today was globally. So there was the Kingdom of Belgium, the Kingdom of Netherlands, the Kingdom of Bahrain, and uh, a few other kingdoms I never thought of those places as kingdoms, but apparently they are. Uh, they're also what we refer to simply as countries, a little bit more modestly, perhaps. Um, and uh, really, everyone there had so much to contribute. Um, tremendous heart, tremendously good intention of and compassion for understanding the effects of, well, I'm going to put it my way, of the environmental disasters that we are piling up one after the other and the need, the screaming need to deal with the emotional anxiety, depression, fallout because those are very natural um, consequences of watching your home be destroyed. It's appropriate to feel anxious. This is my purview. Mental health does not exist in some kind of vacuum or just in a, a single person. It's systemic by nature. It may be occurring more in a symptomatic way in one person, part of a family or a community, but it is systemic in nature, and everybody experiences it in one degree or another, and everyone feels it to one degree or another. Are you with me on this? I'm suggesting that our model of understanding mental health, I think itself, is flawed. Like there's, we point a finger and say there's something wrong with that person. I was just in the bank after coming down by bike from the United Nations, a hot and muggy day here on September 26th in New York City. The place was riddled, of course, with uh, police and all of that up there um, because of all of the dignitaries. It was amazing that they convened this forum on this day of all days, uh, this week, I should really say, because this is the week of the General Assembly. But honestly, it's very fun and exciting to be there. I mean, I'm at the UN routinely for one thing or another and have for the last, well, since the early 90s, I'd say. Um, and uh, but this week is especially fun because it is the week of the General Assembly in September of every year. And uh, 
you know, a better world is just down the block, down the road a piece from the United Nations, real close to the East River. And uh, it's just a lot of fun. And there's a lot of exciting, vibrant energy there of people really looking to do good in the world, ethically, in every single domain you can imagine, and probably a few we can't. It's truly delightful. So make no mistake, there are wonderful people all over the world doing good. And it's our job in the midst of everything to maintain hope. It's our lifeline. It keeps us going even when we're going down a deep hole and rabbit hole or deep in a cave like happened in Thailand. We use hope. There's a physiology to hope which helps and supports our immune function that develops our sense of self that helps with cellular respiration, nourishment and elimination. It helps clarify the mind and creates brain and heart coherency. So keep hoping and not hope passively, hope actively. Get involved, get engaged. We're all going to be dying anyway. We know that. Death and taxes. Keep going, my friends. Pick up the book Drawdown. Use that as a map for taking our next steps. Be kind. Read spiritual uplifting material because that's what we need at this time of hardship of a dark hour. With that said, I want to thank you all for listening. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. Spread the world. Be in touch with me. Visit abetterworld.tv and contact me at mjr at abetterworld.net. And I'll see you all next week.